Welcome to Big Men, Big Theology. My name is Jordan. I'm with my good friend, Pastor John English Lee. Uh, we are uh, going to be discussing implications of the resurrection. John's actually been going through the resurrection passage in John chapter 20 um, for the last... He, he actually started a couple weeks back and we'll be finishing... Um, probably at some point <laughs> before the end of May. Um, so he, he's got a few more sermons that he wants to do on the resurrection. Um, but uh, as we um, sort of get into um, the uh, resurrection, something came out last week. Uh, a new trailer came out for Star Wars Episode Nine. The Rise of Skywalker, and so John English is somewhat of a fan of Star Wars, and I'm somewhat of a fan of Star Wars. You got any theories about uh, the new movie coming out? What does The Rise of Skywalker mean? Uh, well, I when I first saw the trailer, I thought to myself, well, this is a phenomenal trailer because it raises more questions, it answers nothing, and it really makes me want to see the movie. Um <laughs> What did you think of The Last Jedi, though? Were you a fan? That that was number eight. That was number eight. I hated that movie. Okay. That was... Uh, I think I, I disliked that one more than I disliked the Jar Jar Binks episode one. That's that's impressive. That tells, that tells you how much I disliked number eight. But number seven was phenomenal. So yeah. uh, I think The Rise of Skywalker can point us to one of two or maybe both. Uh, implications. So either Luke is somehow coming back, which seems to make sense. Yeah. Uh, maybe the rise of Skywalker means Rey is a Skywalker and she's rising to power. Um, or maybe there's some other implication that we don't know about because if, if I remember, there's some footage of Leia. Yeah, she's, she's in it too. She's in it too. Yeah. So I think I, I heard a theory that um, Vader's going to come back. Anakin's going to come back. So everybody's basically coming back, and they're all going to be sort of a force spirit for uh, Ray. And so basically, Ray's going to be a Skywalker as well. Uh, we already know that uh, uh, Kylo is a part of the Sky Skywalker lineage. But yeah, that would be pretty. I mean, I think it'd be pretty cool to see everybody sort of culminate into one character so she's she's actually become all of the all of the uh force masters of the past the the great jedi of the past wow that would be yeah pretty wild also i've heard a theory that she is obi-wan's uh granddaughter and luke's daughter yep. which could yep. could happen i don't yeah. know well in in the books um han and leia have a set of twins <coughs> and the daughter is on the light side and the son Ben Solo goes yeah. to the dark side and he becomes um, a Sith guy and so there's there's precedent within the Star Wars canon already to have brothers and sisters against one another from Han and Leia it could be that they just completely forget about the last Jedi and just 
say we're going to pick up and start something new. Yeah, that that wouldn't hurt my feelings. Wouldn't hurt my feelings either. Yeah. Well, John, I want to I want to start by reading John uh chapter 20. Uh since we're talking about the resurrection and um and then we can move into some of the implications that you see in light of the resurrection. Particularly we can start with what you uh preached on a couple weeks ago. Um so it says this in John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first, and stopping and stooping to look in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she beheld two angels in in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there, and did not know what it was what <clears throat> did not know that it was Jesus and Jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking supposing him to be the gardener she said to him sir if you have carried away him uh, if you have carried him away tell me where you have laid him and i will take him away Jesus said to her mary she turned and said to him <clears throat> in hebrew rabboni which means teacher. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, and announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. So <clears throat> when we're thinking about the resurrection, and we, we see... Um, John chapter 20, 20, and we see this this story of Christ dying on the cross, being scourged, being whipped, being beaten, being killed, taking his last breath, saying it is finished. And yet, now we see the resurrection happen. Um, what what are some implications you see from the, re- the resurrection, John? <clears throat> Well, as I've as I've thought about it, there are different angles at which uh, we can look at this uh, from a standpoint of biblical theology. Uh, that is, looking at it within the narrative of the whole canon, 
There are some themes that come out that really highlight Jesus' role and the nature of his work. So you could go back to the garden, um, to really before the garden, when God is uh, building his creation, which is kind of his cosmic temple. He's setting the pillars of it over the course of six days. And then at the completion of those six days, when his temple creation work is finished, he rests, he, he almost sits, it's his divine enthronement over his rule and reign of creation. Um, when his work is done, he sits as the king. And, and when uh, Christ comes, he does his work, and then his work has him resting in the grave. But he doesn't stay there because he's taken from the grave, he's resurrected, he is Romans 1 verse 4 declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He is declared king over the new creation, and he is the first fruits of that new creation. He is the first one raised from the dead, and he is the seal and the um, really the, the promise to us that we also will share in his fate of, of resurrection. Um, the, the resurrection is also uh, the the theological reason for the change in the day of worship. We don't worship on, we don't look forward to the Saturday Sabbath of the Jews. We don't work, 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 and hope that we can make it to the end. No, we start each week on Sunday from a position of grace and rest, and from that position of it already having been accomplished, we then move forward and work. It's like each each week starts over a, a new a new week of creation almost with us. We have, we're starting afresh. Our conscience is cleared. We're reminded again of the gospel of grace. And with that strength um, given to us by the means of grace on the Lord's day, uh, we proclaim his resurrection and we go forward with that message throughout the rest of the week. Um, <clears throat> so now we celebrate uh, the Lord's day as the first day of the week and not, and not now, not, not previously where it was the seventh day where it was the the day of rest right so it's the first day of the week it's the first day of the week it's almost like it's the it's the beginning of a new creation so the old week is gone the old creation marred by sin and marred by adam and his seed is done away with the new creation has begun the new heavens and the new earth are beginning to come into place and uh, the new people of God are being resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. Their hearts are being resurrected first, and one day their bodies will be erect, resurrected physically. And God's people, uh, renewed by His resurrecting Spirit, will be worshiping Him for all of eternity in, as it were, a resurrected new heavens and new earth. Right. So uh, this is something that you said that is sort of, uh, is sort of off topic that... Maybe we could uh, talk about, um, but so Jesus died on Friday, Good Friday. He went to the grave. In First Peter four, it says that he uh, descended uh, or or went to those um, who were still bound in chains and preached the gospel to them. Um, what it, so? What is he doing in the grave? You, so you said he's resting, but. Um, is there is there more to that? Well, we can get into all sorts of speculations about this. The short answer is the Bible doesn't really tell us. Okay. Um, so some people would go and they <clears throat> create, based on that passage in Peter, they create this narrative where Christ is descending into hell itself and is somehow unlocking the chains and the gates of those people that were held captive in this kind of 
middle ground, this no man's land between heaven and hell, almost like a purgatory, but they wouldn't call it that. Um, and then he releases them. Or, or they say, it's well, it's all the Old Testament saints, but they couldn't get to heaven until Christ's work was done. And so they had to kind of wait in this 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 waiting room until they could be released. I, I'm not convinced of that. Um, Matthew Emerson is writing a book on this and has been doing a lot of good work on the descent. Um, and I would recommend his work to you. I, I think <clears throat> I think Calvin and others are helpful in this, and they take his descent um, to to be just his coming down from heaven and all of his earthly work on behalf of his people. Um, and his sufferings included within that, his sufferings on the cross. So that's that's kind of where I land, and and I try not to get too speculative because some of the some of the answers to that question are quite imaginative. Right. So uh, another thing that comes to my mind is union with Christ because of the resurrection. We have been baptized into Christ's death. We have. Uh, so we we go down into death, we die to our sin, and we're raised to walk in newness of life, Romans 6 says. What does that, what does the resurrection have for us in terms of that, in terms of walking, in terms of living out our, our, our lives? What does it mean? What are the implications of that? Let's, let's, let's talk about that union. <laughs> the nature of it and the means of it, and then talk about the, the how it fleshes itself out. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says that Jesus was crowned with glory and honor. That is, you know, resurrection. He was proclaimed, uh, like I read in Hebrews chapter 1, proclaimed to be the Son of God because of his resurrection. But Hebrews 2, 9, because of the suffering of his death. Or Hebrews 13, 20 now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of his eternal covenant. So brought again from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant. The, the, Christ's blood is the instrumental means of or the efficacious ground of his very resurrection. So because of his perfect life and because of his willing death, it was just of God to resurrect him. And indeed, it was fitting. It was appropriate. It was, um, it was even necessary. Because why would an innocent man need to stay dead under the penalty when the penalty has been saved? He has merited eternal life because of his work. That's significant. Yeah. And so even, even thinking about our theology, that, that's, that's um, implications of the covenant of redemption. Yes. So uh, you have... God the Father and God the Son in, in this agreement of Christ coming to die on a cross to purchase for himself for themselves for 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 the God for the Godhead uh, a people um, and so it took the willing death a willing agreement um, between the Godhead in order for this to be accomplished. Right, and if his work <coughs> was successful, if his work was, if he was an effectual high priest, if he actually completed his mission, then he actually saved his people on the cross. It actually happened. Theologians will call this uh, definite. His atonement is definite. He didn't merely make men savable. He actually saved men. His blood, by the power of the eternal covenant, has saved himself and all those people united to him, or those that will be united to him. And so, 
There's, there's no hint of the possibility in Hebrews or in other places that Christ's work may not be enough. It was done. The high priest has finished his work. The, he has sat down at the right hand of God himself. And so non-Calvinists might argue that the atonement is indefinite. And they might say, well, you can be legitimately united to God, united to Christ by his blood, through the work of the Holy Spirit, legitimately today, and then tomorrow lose that salvation Somehow the blood goes from efficacious to non-efficacious. It goes from effectual to ineffectual. And so that's why uh, the doctrines of grace, i.e. Calvinism, is a coherent system. And Arminianism, classically defined, um, or maybe some non-Calvinistic systems of today, if you take one card away, they all start to fall. They're dominoes. They're all connected. So if Christ's work was definite then the atonement was definite, then our salvation is secure based upon his work and not our performance in our work. And we are, we are retained in that union with him, not because of our strength, not because of how holy we are, but because of his grace to us, his persevering and restraining grace. So genuine believers will maintain their union with Christ. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's great. I, 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 so when you see... Union with Christ uh, and his accomplishments, his works, they are now joined with our, I mean, our, our works are now foolishness, filthy rags. Uh, we now get his definite work, his work on the cross. Um, Ephesians 2 highlights this perfectly. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, but it is a result of works, just not ours. Right. It's the Christ's result work. of Christ's work, his death and resurrection, right. in order that we are saved. So, And then ultimately, through that, through that union, we now become his workmanship. We now, um, we, we now are able to walk in newness of life because of the resurrection. Right. We are united with him, and we are filled with his Holy Spirit, who is preparing and working in us to produce those good works. And so even when we do, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do good things. We do good works, and those are important. We want to emphasize that. Those are important, but even those things are the fruits of the Holy Spirit working within us. And we can't look at those good works and say, man, I am doing such a bang-up job being a Christian. God is so lucky to have me on his team. <laughs> no, we say, wow, this is but the grace of God. I would not be doing these things. And because I am doing these things, it is because of the Holy Spirit working within me, helping me to understand in a deeper and more powerful way the union and the power that I have because I'm related to Christ, because I'm tied to him. And then we proclaim his glories and we glorify him even the more because of his work within us. Yeah, so so something I want to highlight too, there's, there's in light of the resurrection, there's an already but not completely yet. So one day we will have new bodies. We'll have, uh, we will be in a new heaven, a new earth. Um, so there's an already in, in the sense that we are born again, in the sense that we have new hearts, in the sense that we are now walking as as people who are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but we're now walking in newness of life, as Romans 6 says, 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about what that looks like, the already but not yet. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm a citizen of heaven, but I'm not actually in heaven. Um, I'm going to ha- have a resurrected body. I just don't have it yet. Yeah, Paul, Paul and uh, really the New Testament can seem at, a, at an initial reading to be contradictory because he'll make statements like, we're united to Christ in his death and united to him in his resurrection, so we're alive. And then he'll make statements in other places that says, who will free me from this body of death? <laughs> so which is it, Paul? Are you dead or not? Uh, and and the, the answer is the already not yet tension that we find in the New Testament. Christ's work has inaugurated legitimately the new creation, but that new creation will not be consummated until he comes back in glory to resurrect everyone from the dead and judge them on the final day. So... The, that tension helps us. We have optimism because we know that we are legitimately united to Christ and our fate is secure. We have assurance of our salvation. We have the strength to persevere through trials because the Holy Spirit is working within us. And we also have a realism that we still have remaining sin. We are still going to battle this till the day we die. We are still going to have to discipline ourselves and discipline our body and and struggle and exert and have effort towards these things so just because our salvation is secure it doesn't mean we can sit and coast we still have to battle daily to put to death this sin to to mortify our sins as the old puritans used to call it so that we can put on the deeds of righteousness put off the deeds of sin put on the deeds of righteousness um, So it's this already not yet tension of we have a secure knowledge that we are united to Christ and have the assurance of our salvation, but we also have in this life the assurance that there will be trouble and trials and and temptations to sin and and a battle towards holiness the whole time. Yeah, so um, what are some other things we should think about in terms of uh, the resurrection uh, as you've been thinking about it? This week, what are what are some highlights about the resurrection that you think? Well, if we believe that Christ's work on the cross was definite, if he actually atoned for the sins of all of his people, then there are current unbelievers all around us and around the world that have not yet come to Christ but will because of Christ's work on the cross. So we can have confidence in our evangelism and confidence in our missions around the world, proclaiming God's gospel, because we know that Christ has effectually redeemed, he has atoned for the sins of his bride. And all we're doing is proclaiming that gospel and being the the, the means, the channel the of vessel. communication, the vessels. We are the jars of clay that deliver this message to see God's people come to him. So we can have confidence. And we also know that it's not our fault When people don't believe, it's not ultimately based on our winsomeness and how effectual we can argue and how well and articulate we defend these things. We just proclaim the gospel simply and faithfully, and God will work in the hearts of his people. I think also we can, can, I mentioned this earlier, but we can have the ability to persevere well under trials, knowing that there is an end to all of our trials. So the resurrection tells us that there is an expiration date to all of our pain, Amen. to all of our suffering, that we will be resurrected from the dead. And these bodies that are decaying and dying, uh, I mean, the, the, older, the older I've gotten, 
the more important that reality has been. Because when you're young, when you hurt yourself, you get you you heal yourself really quickly. You get back, you get well very quickly. But now I'm to the point where when when I get a new ache and a new pain, you just realize, well, that's going to be there forever, you know, at least <laughs> till I die. Um, and so the, your body doesn't heal itself like it used to, and you re- begin to long more and more for a resurrected, glorified body that will not wear out, that will not weary, that will not tire, um, that will not decay. And that, that is encouraging, especially to our senior saints. So I have ministered to senior adults lying on their deathbed, looking um, not far across the river of death, Right. to the uh, promised city and the hearing them hearing again of what they already know but that they will have resurrected glorified bodies gives them great encouragement it's it's i've even read first corinthians 15 and encouraged them <coughs> with the truth where paul talks about our spiritual bodies that will be resurrected that's yeah that's something that i want i want to address before we um uh finish but I also want to um, talk about the fact that um, unbelievers are going to get a resurrected body as well. That's true. Um, so, which, and, which a resurrected body that does not wear out is a curse to those that are not united to Christ. That's right. Because you can be in a body that does not wear out, and you can be eternally tortured in it, in a place that the Bible calls hell. Um, and so that, that reality should not be a comfort to those that are in their sin. They should not say, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be in that, what, what's the word, the, you know, the, that, um, anyway, it's escaped me. But they, they, everyone has kind of this Americanized conception of the afterlife as people just sitting on clouds and playing harps and everything. Well, for those people that are not united to Christ, the afterlife will be an eternity of misery and pain. And so the resur- the doctrine of the resurrection should terrify people that do not have faith. Yeah, and so that even I mean that gets back to why Christ had to come and die. He absorbed the wrath so that we would not have to taste God's wrath. Um we talked about this a little bit in the last episode as well. Um the wrath of God is coming and it's going to it, it, either Christ has Absorb the wrath in your place, or you will absorb God's wrath. Um, there, there's no, there's no other options. Um, you must believe in Christ in order to be saved. You must trust in Him, and if you trust in Him, you will get a resurrected body that's uh, in heaven with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. First um, Corinthians fifteen. Uh, we brought that up. Um, it's it's really one of the more comforting passages when. Uh, you you think about in light of Christ's uh, resurrection. Um, but in verse 50, I just want us to finish thinking about the resurrection. It says the mystery of the resurrection. Verse 50, it says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So these bodies that we have right now are perishing away. So we if if we don't believe with our hearts with our minds and our hearts and our souls that Christ is the way the truth and the life we will perish in these bodies and there will there will be an afterlife but that that afterlife will be eternity in hell 
and says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the, the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the believer, um, death is is inevitable unless Christ returns. Um, death is inevitable and it's going to happen. But for the believer, it's just one more step into glory. It's one more step into the heavenly resurrection. Um, there, there should be, I've said this, ever since the garden, um, death has been, it's meant to be feared. It's, it's meant to be feared. Uh, God told Adam on the day of, on the day that you eat of it, that day you will surely die. Um, so there's, there's this fear that comes along with death. Uh, we, we live in mortal bodies. That's right. Death becomes, uh, there's a, there's an analogy and I don't, I don't remember who I read it from, but uh, in Greek mythology, there was the river Styx, and that was the boundary into the the realm of the undead. And there was a little boat that would ferry you across, and the ferryman was named Charon, C H A R O N, and he would ferry people across the river Styx into the realm of the undead after they die. Well, the this this writer that I was reading, I think it was Thomas Brooks, I don't remember. Um, his death simply becomes the ferryman that carries us across the river into our final place. And unlike the realm of the dead, we're carried across this into a realm of paradise. And death itself becomes a servant, a handmaiden to the believer. Death becomes merely the vehicle that delivers us from one state of weakness into a state of blessedness. Um, it, we go from having verse 44 in 1 Corinthians 15, having a, a natural body, that's a, a soulish body that is sown, but when it is raised, it is a soma pneumaticon. It is a spiritual body that is raised, and that spiritual body is the one that has these eternal, um, the eternal blessedness of the beatific vision where we are standing before God, enjoying His presence, uh, sustained by His grace for all of eternity. And that, that gives us hope when we are um, when we are downtrodden, it gives us strength when we are weary. It, uh, it lifts our sails when we are beaten down by this world and our bodies begin to fail. And we're, we're weary of battling against the same old sins that continue to come. Uh, we can have strength knowing that there is this promised and secure promise because of Christ's resurrection. It's not merely a hopeful promise. It's not a, that's really what I want to do one day if I'm able. It's this will happen because I've already demonstrated that that I will do it with my son and all those that you're united to him will also feel that blessing. We're going to be posting this episode uh, on Saturday before Easter Sunday. What would you say to people who um, only only darken the doors on Easter, uh, maybe Christmas, they only they only come to church during those those special times of year. What would you what would you say to people like that? What would you want to say to those people? 
I would say to them, uh, I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I'm glad that you've come to worship with us. And I would say to them the same message I say to my people, that Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that you need to heed His Word, that you need to hear His voice speaking through the Scriptures, and you need to follow Him in obedience, repent and believe for the forgiveness of your sins. Yeah, and, and for those who those who say, I'm a Christian, but I only go to... Um, church on Christmas and Easter only darken the doors during those times. I would say that the resurrection is proof that we are joined to a, to a bride that has been resurrected, to a church that has been resurrected, that to a church that is is becoming more and more uh, like Christ and is being purified. And so to to say that you're to to say that you're a believer and you you're separate from the body of Christ and for for fifty one weeks out of the year is is it's sort it's it's sort of like saying that uh, I'm a baseball player but I don't <laughs> I, I'm a professional baseball player but I don't ever go to bat and practice. Right. I, I'm a professional golfer and I demonstrate that <laughs> by going to the driving range once a year. Like right. that's that's inconceivable and I would tell that person, yeah, you may believe that the the truthfulness of the doctrine of definite atonement. But if you are coming to church once a year and you're not sitting under the preaching of the word, you're not covenanting with believers to share their burdens, you're not fulfilling Christ's commands by um, worshiping Him through the ordinances of Lord's Supper and Baptism, then you have zero, you should have zero assurance of your salvation. There's nothing in your life that is demonstrating with any consistency that you are truly saved. And so on the basis of what uh, James says about our justification bearing itself out with good works, those good works include gathering with the body, singing to God, worshiping Him through prayer, sitting under the preaching of His Word, how, how could you say that you're united to Christ and yet you are unwilling to listen to him through his preached word and you're unwilling to serve his body? You're unwilling to serve him by serving the body. It's, it's completely inconsistent. So I would warn them. I would, I would say, brother, I, I fear for your soul because there is nothing in your life that shows me that you are a Christian. That's right. Um, the resurrection has many implications. I think one of the the greatest implications that we see in the resurrection is that um, we are joined. We are joined to Christ because of his resurrection from the dead. If he did not raise from the dead, then we are no, we, we have no hope. Um, if he's still in the ground um, and, and his bones haven't been found, if he's, if he's just, uh, just was this Jewish man that claimed to be the Messiah, if he didn't actually raise from the dead, Christians have no hope. Um, that's why we believe, that's why we hope, that's why we trust in the resurrection as one of the crucial tenets of our faith. Um, and uh, as, we, as we close, um, we would encourage you uh, to, to find, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're not a part of a church, we would encourage you to find a church that's going to preach Christ's death, Christ's resurrection uh, every week, week in and week out, because that's where, that, that is where we find our rest that is where we find our hope um as we close uh we hope that you would check us out on our facebook page um and uh any updates there 
Um, and uh, we'll we'll constantly have uh, some of our pastors on, uh, like John English, and uh, who who are um, going through different seasons of their own life. And so he's preaching on the resurrection on Sunday night. So we'd love for you guys to come out and check out that uh, if you have time. Um, but uh, we hope you have a good day and a good Easter. Thank you.